I'll be reading from the New International Version from Colossians, the third chapter. We'll start with verse 12 through 17. It's uh, page 984 in your pew Bibles. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called in peace, called to peace, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. July 15th, 1992, a nurse at the hospital tossed me a bag that contained a gown and some booties and a hat, and she said, quick, put these on, it's time. And I scrambled to get in those. Something new was happening. Someone new was coming into the world. I was about to meet my daughter, Megan. And then in my life, two more times in 2001 and 2002, a nurse would say, quick, put these on, get ready, it's time. And I obeyed. I got dressed so that I could meet somebody new. I hear something of that in what Paul says in those first few verses of Colossians chapter 3, those first few verses that that, uh, Jim Bob read for us this morning. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. As Jim Bob's version, the NIV said, clothe yourselves with these qualities. It tells me something new is being born here. Something new is being born, and we're all in this, in on this together. The baby being born is the body of Christ. It's the church of which we are all members. And if we're going to welcome it into this world properly, we need to scrub up, we need to clean off, we need to put on these qualities. Clothe yourselves with these qualities of compassion and kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. You know, the funny thing was, when my kids were born, all of us were wearing the same thing. All of us were wearing those, you know, me, the doctor, the nurses, we were all wearing those gowns. We all had the little hats on. We all had the little booties on. Everybody had those on except for Trish and the baby, too, and the baby. The baby didn't have anything on, you know, that was their birthday, their birthday suit. But, but, but if we're going to properly welcome, what, what we, we want to see is, is the rest of us were the support staff, but... What we were wearing spoke to what we were expecting, spoke to what we were supporting. We wanted to see a new baby come into the world, and we were dressed to meet that new life. That's exactly what Paul is telling us about these qualities. This is new life. This is the church. This is the body of Christ, and it is now your priority, your character, your conduct should reflect that this is your priority. We've been looking at the book, I Am a Church Member. Last week we looked at 
the first chapter. I will be a functioning church member. And we saw that each one of us has a, a role. Each one of us has a purpose. Each one of us has a part in the body of Christ. This week, the call is to see those come together and work together. And for that to happen, the whole church needs unity. On page 22, Tom Rayner writes, When you become a Christian, God expects you to be a part of His church. But when you become part of His church, He wants you to be a unifying presence there. Let's state that a bit more strongly. He demands that you become a unifying presence in His church. You see, unity must be the priority for every body. Paul is saying, put these on. All of you, put on that gown and the, the hat, the booties. Put on that. These, these are necessary. In fact, if you're a Christian, I have to tell you, nothing in this passage that we've just heard today, nothing in this passage is optional if you're a Christian. Absolutely nothing here is optional. No one else can put these on for you. Each one of us has that responsibility because each of these is necessary for us to be a unifying church member. Unity must be the priority for everybody. Now there's an awful lot in these few verses, so let's break it down the way Paul breaks it down. The most important thing he tells us to do is to put on love. Put on love because that's what holds us together. There are a lot of qualities here that we're called to clothe ourselves with. We're called to clothe ourselves with compassion and kindness and, and forgiveness. Uh, and I don't think we need to go back and look at all of those again. What, last year, we spent the whole year looking at the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians chapter 5. You know, it's there in Galatians 5 that Paul begins, the fruit of the Spirit is love. And then he goes on and lists the other qualities joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and, and the rest of them. But here, in, a, or in Colossians chapter 3, he begins with love. And then he lists, after listing, or, excuse me, there he began with love. Here, after listing all those qualities, he concludes with love. He says in verse 14, And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Love, in other words, completes the wardrobe. Love pulls it all together. Love holds it all together. And I think what Paul is trying to say is something that we all know by experience. Sometimes it's hard to be patient with some people. Sometimes it's hard to be patient with people who maybe annoy you a little bit. And sometimes kindness is difficult. Kindness is difficult if someone has, has hurt us. And don't even get me started on forgiveness. But love, when we put on love over all of those other qualities, love holds them together. When we start with love, it's easier to put on the rest of them. But you notice the love that Paul starts with is not our love. It's not my love. It's not your love. It's God's love for us. Look again at verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, put on compassionate hearts and kindness, humility, meekness, and patience as God's beloved ones. He reminds us that each one of us was loved when we didn't deserve to be loved. It's what Paul said in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. God showed His love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The way that God showed us His love 
was to, to show it to us when we deserved it the least. In His love, we, we've known God's kindness. We've known His forgiveness. We've definitely felt His patience. And so how can we respond to other people with anything less? He says in verse 14, Above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Jesus said the same thing, but He said it this way. He said, By this all people will know you are My disciples if you have love for one another. There's a lot of great things that we can do. There's a lot of wonderful things that we can do as individuals. There's a lot of wonderful things that we can do together as a church. But if love is not seen in everything we do, we've missed the point. Last week we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 where Paul talked about how there is one body but there are many parts. Some of us are the hands and some of us are the feet. Some of us are eyes and some of us are ears. And then at the end of that chapter in verse 31, Paul says, now let me show you a more excellent way. And he leads us into chapter 13 where he explains that love is patient. Love is kind. Love is forgiving. The place that you and I have to begin with with each other is a place of love. Now I'm going to confess for us, that's hard. Sometimes that's difficult. That's not always easy. It's not always easy for us. And we're lovable, right? You and I, we're, we're pretty lovable. It's not always easy for us. What's going to make the difference for us is how we choose to approach our relationships with each other. And, and Paul's advice is to approach those relationships by putting on peace and letting peace rule our hearts. You'll notice in verses 15 and 16, we have the word let in both of those. That's a little word, tiny little word, let. And yet the word let can be really difficult. The word let means just simply to allow, to allow something to happen. Let removes your control. Let removes your control. Let takes away your say. Let lays aside your preferences and your way of doing things. Verse 15 says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. And I'll be the first to admit I have a hard time letting other people do things for me. I have a hard time letting other people do things for me. When you let somebody do something for you, you have to step aside. You have to let them serve you, and that could just feel kind of weird sometimes. You have to have the self-control also to let them do it their way. And it's not that I'm a control freak. It's just that I know the right way to do things. And other people have a different way that's not quite as right as my way to do things. And you see, because of that, in and of myself, when, when I rule, my rule is skewed. My rule is bent. My rule is not going to be right. My rule is going to be influenced by my prejudices. My rule is going to be influenced by my, my preferences. My rule is going to be influenced by my likes and my dislikes. My rule would be influenced by how other people have helped me and how other people have hurt me. And that's true of all of us. Our, our rule is imperfect. And so Paul calls each one of us and he says, let the peace of Christ rule. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Not my hurt feelings, not your preferences, 
but let the peace of Christ get the final say. That's difficult. And that's not something that you figure out on day one of of giving your life to Christ. It's something that takes forever for you to figure out. It's something that you and I are very imperfect at right now, but trust me, if 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 we work at it, we'll get better. We'll get better. Reminds me of when Bill Carrion passed away. I sat down and I met with, with the grandkids. Nancy and I sat with the grandkids. And I wanted to ask the grandkids as I was preparing for Bill's funeral, I wanted to ask the grandkids how their grandpa had impacted them. And I said, what is it you'll always remember about your grandpa? What is it about your grandpa that, that impressed you? What did he impress upon you? And every one of them said, he's such a kind man. Grandpa was so kind. He's such a good man. And they remembered that Grandpa, it didn't matter what Nancy had cooked or burnt or not microwaved enough. After every meal, Grandpa would say thank you. And they remembered that. You know what? Everything they said was true. But I looked over at Nancy and she was biting her lip. And she had this smile on her face. And then finally she said, kids, you got to realize you got the finished version. You know? You got Grandpa when he was much more along the, along the line than earlier. He wasn't always like that. And, and we could tell stories. Some of us could tell stories about Bill and how Bill grew into, into the man of God that he became. Some of us could tell stories about a church meeting one day where Bill got so frustrated that he took his Bible and whacked someone in, in the head in front of him. I mean, that, that doesn't really reflect the peace of Christ ruling, does it? But Bill allowed himself to grow... And Bill allowed himself to change. He didn't do it perfectly. He never did, but, but he grew. And that's, that's what it takes for us. It takes time to grow. What does that look like? Though? What does it look like when we're trying to be unifying church members? It means treating other people in a way that brings peace to their lives. It means, uh, it means I'm treating you in a way that, 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 uh, that if it doesn't bring peace, then I'm doing something wrong. And to do that, I have to relinquish the control of my feelings. I have to relinquish the control of my preferences. And I have to allow Jesus to rule. If we're, if we're saying and doing things that first and foremost are not covered in love, then we're not allowing the peace of Christ to rule. We've not allowed peace its place to rule if we're not letting Jesus hold us together. And again, let's just confess, that's hard. That's why... Paul doesn't just make it about letting the peace rule, but he also makes it about letting Jesus' words define who we are together. Look at verse 16. The word let appears again. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. You notice he uses the word let again. And, And I need to point out, Paul's not addressing us as individuals. He's addressing the whole church. He's addressing the whole church, all of us together, who we are as a group, who we are as the church, who we are as the body of Christ. We are to be defined by Jesus' words. We are in this together, and there is no getting out. There is no changing teams. We cannot separate ourselves from each other. We can't say, I'm going to set this one out. We can't get away. We are in this together. I got to thinking about that. I told you a few weeks ago that over the summer we, we took a day and we went down to Holiday World. Connor loves Holiday World. I mean, he, uh, he'll watch on his iPad, he'll watch videos from Holiday World. I don't know where he finds them, how he gets to them, but 
we'll catch him watching videos of people on roller coasters, you know, first-person videos. He loves doing that stuff. So we were at Holiday World. We're enjoying the rides, and Trish and, and Gracie both decided they needed a break. They were going to get a snack or something. And I said, you know what? While you guys are doing that, I'm going to take Connor on a roller coaster all by myself. That seemed like a great idea at the time. I said, you know, me and my boy, me and my boy are going to go ride a roller coaster together. And I thought this will be perfect because he loved this roller coaster two years ago. Two years ago we were here. He absolutely loved it. You've seen pictures of him smiling, great big smile on his face. He loved that roller coaster. So we get in line for the roller coaster. It's kind of a long line. We're excited, though. We're jumping up and down as we're waiting in line. We're having a great time. We get to the front of the line. We get into our car. We put our seatbelts on. We pull that bar down. And I looked around and I went, I've never been on this roller coaster before. This isn't the roller coaster I thought it was. And then I noticed that the tracks were made out of wood. And I don't know if you've been on a wooden roller coaster since your back kind of got stuck, uh, but they're not made for old people. Maybe younger people can go on a wooden roller coaster, but I have long since sworn off of wooden roller coasters. And I suddenly realized we were on a coaster that looked very similar, but it was not the same roller coaster. And as I got to the, the chains taking us up to the top of the hill, I'm like, well, this is not going to be good at all. This is going to be a very bad thing. But here's the thing. When you get to the top of that hill, they won't let you out. You're, you're stuck. And you can't say, this isn't the ride I thought it was. Can you take us back to the front and, and I'll get off? And No, they won't let you do that. You have to ride that ride with your big boy next to you slamming into you over and over again. And, uh, and there's, there's very little room in those, in those seats. But once we got to the top, I had to let it happen. <laughs> I had to go along with the ride, even though it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. Can I compare that to the church just for a minute? Sometimes things are bumpy. Sometimes things are rough. Sometimes it's easy to say, I think I'd like to find a church that has a merry-go-round. <laughs> or, or there's another church down the road that has a water slide. And maybe, maybe I'm more of a water slide kind of person. But what Paul's reminding us here is that we are in this ride together. If we're part of the body of Christ, we're in this together. And it's not about our likes. It's not about our peace. It's about the love of Christ. It's about the peace of Christ. And unity must be the priority for everybody. Look again, verses 14, or excuse me, 16 and 17. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through Him. To let the Word of Christ dwell in us. It means to make lots of room for the Word of Christ in our lives. Sometimes we can get pretty narrow in our hearing. Sometimes we can even get more narrow in the things that we say. And Paul is inviting us to consider how we might encourage one another, how we might speak in ways and share in ways that encourage each other. He gives us a few examples. He gives us the examples of singing and teaching and expressing thankfulness, of learning how to show peace and love, of how to bring unity and the life of Jesus into our church. 
He says, give him room to live and move around and bind you together. Think about a, a man I've known for a long time. His name's Harold. Harold's 95 years old. Harold's buried two wives. Harold served as a soldier. Harold spent part of his time as a soldier as a POW. Had a, had a pretty rough life. And yet, Harold is a wonderful encourager. I think about Harold, and Harold's someone who lets the Word of Christ dwell in him richly. Harold's gift, if you talk to Harold, Harold's gift is he's always able to tell you what you're good at. He's always able to just tell you what you're good at. You know people like that? There's times when when I've felt pretty worthless. There's times when I've felt good for nothing, and I'll talk to Harold, and and Harold will remind me of something I said. Maybe it was something I said 20 years ago. Harold will remind me of something I said, something I did, something that made a difference, something that made an impression. He said, you remember that time you said that? He said, well, I'll never forget that. That was really good. And, and suddenly, suddenly I, I feel better. Harold makes me thankful for him because Harold lets the word of Christ dwell in him richly. Harold allows the peace of Christ to rule his heart. Uh, he puts on the love of Jesus. We need people like that in our lives. And I think people in our lives need us to be like that as well. We need people like that in the church. We need people who remind us that we are in on this together and that unity must be the priority for everybody. And I am a church member. On page 28, Tom Rainer writes, Each local church is made up of imperfect members and imperfect pastors. We all make mistakes. We all sin. Yes, we are all hypocrites. Church unity is torn apart when members refuse to forgive, when any member is too prideful to grant forgiveness. Remember, Christ loved us so much that He died on a cross to forgive us. And now, as He has forgiven us, so we must forgive others. It is essential to the unity of the church. I love how every chapter in the book ends with a pledge. If you've, if you've been reading, you've noticed that. Every, every chapter ends with a little, little section with a pledge, and you, you can sign the pledge there at the, at the end. But you know, whether you read the book or not, whether you sign the pledge or not really doesn't matter. If you have claimed Jesus as your Savior, if you have taken Him as your Lord, if you've given Him your life, then you've given your life to His body. If you are a church member, you are a unifying church member because there is no other kind of church member and that's not just a commitment on your part that is a promise from every member that's a promise from every member of the church that we're in this together we're here to support each other to encourage each other to love each other to forgive each other that through the way we treat each other each of us would know the love of jesus that through the way we love each other we would always know the love that he has for us you haven't grabbed a copy of I Am a Church Member yet. I think we have two copies left, but more of them are on their way. Should be here sometime this coming week. We'd love to have you have your own copy and read along with us as we're as we're talking about this book and putting emphasis on on these things. Let's stand together as we pray. Father, we are called to be one body. We are called to be unified in our love for each other. And we'll admit that too often we've run off in our own direction. 
Too often we've not put on love. Too often instead of letting your peace rule, we have allowed our differences to separate us. So Lord, give us the conviction that we need to stand together. And in doing so, let us know your presence and love in powerful ways. As we see you in in each one of us. As we hear your words from each one of us. To your glory we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.